0: everybody, welcome back to the Narrator Roundtable. I'm Gail Shallon, and I'm really excited about the episode we have for you today. Today we're talking about how audiobook narrators often are not playing just one character. We are often playing many characters, or all the characters in the story. And those stories are often set in particular places in the world that maybe we're not from. Major characters in the story might be from somewhere different than the protagonist, or even small characters can be prescribed an accent or dialect, with a literary tag telling us where they should sound like they're from. A flexibility and an agility with dialects, or at least an ability to accurately and respectfully suggest vocal regionalisms, is a skill set that's called upon us all the time. We are often asked to play a cast of characters with a variety of different accents that are not native to us. And yet we're also often called upon to eradicate our own unique idiolects and to find a neutral sound, no accent, or something that has been coined as either General American or Standard British. So I've invited the wonderful Kat Littrell to the table to discuss how helpful or harmful these generalized neutral accents can be, how limited the options truly are, and our approach uh, to thinking about accents in general. So here's a little bit about Kat. She's an Australian-American, Audi-nominated, multiple earphones award-winning narrator. She's an actor and dialect coach, who has trained in Knight Thompson's speech work and is currently living in the UK, getting her MFA in voice studies at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. She's often narrating in accents other than her native Australian, and she's passionate about accent as an entry point to character. She doesn't believe there's any such thing as a neutral accent. And in this episode, she shares with us some very helpful thoughts on working through dialect challenges, accent dismissive casting, and other buzzy things about how we think about dialects and accents in our work. Let's dive in. I just wanted to kick off our conversation around how these this idea of a neutral accent or a general standardized accent um, is actually a construct, and it might reflect some harmful uh, ideologies Um, And and talk about where we think that uh, that need for the default of these two very anglicized Western white uh, constructed dialects come from and why we still feel like um, we need to default to those when we actually probably should have a bit more of a diverse spectrum of dialects to reflect both the listeners and the authors' voices that are now being heard.
1: Um my thought when something is asking for a neutral accent you know it's a word you always have to decode right because neutral to who right um you know or no accent is another way of saying that no accent uh a hundred percent of the time if i get an audition that says no accent i can guarantee you they didn't mean australian So, for me, I have to do an accent when it says no accent. So what does that mean? I think that there's so many assumptions built into a standard, or using the words standard, neutral, no accent, unaccented. um, You know, everyone has an accent in the world. Uh, I recently was looking at the history of um received pronunciation just because it's helpful to know these things and you know it's called british standard or it's called um you you know when people say british (laughs) that's what they mean even though it's an english accent um but only three percent of the population in the uk actually has that accent wow so i think that's a really interesting statistic is, is born is natively born with that accent people le- can learn it people speak with it uh, particularly from a drama school context and things like that it's a very widely disseminated accent but it's vastly overrepresented versus the people who actually speak that way in this country so um yeah i think thinking about what the power dynamics are of accent and voice and who's assumed to be the speaker, but also who's assumed to be the listener. Right is something I don't think that producers and casting directors spend a lot of time maybe thinking about when they write a breakdown. But as an actor, as the person who's creating the world of the audiobook and the world for the listener to enter into, we absolutely have to think about these questions, right?
0: Yeah, right. Like I mean, we're not just creating a generalized character, so why would we have a generalized accent? It's one specific human being who's who's speaking, so they have their idiolect, right? Yeah, yeah. And like
1: you said in my intro about using an accent to create a character, you know, if you're, I don't think anybody. I mean, there could be a specific project that sets out to create a neutral character, Um, but in general. Characters are specific, right? not general, and so it feels like a real flattening, a real missed opportunity of how to enter into the world, particularly when we're directed. We're directed a lot of the time, we're told a lot of the time to use a neutral accent or to use a subtle accent or yeah. a light accent. Um. But if we're told to use a light accent, what we're sort of being asked to do is move, shift the accent towards a standard.
2: I'm curious why you think that is. Like, what is the industry force that is making the white Anglo-Saxon American accent considered standard?
1: I think there are probably a few different things as with anything I think the main thing might be an assumption or a concern that listeners won't be able to understand the speaker you know there's sort of the cliche of a of a thick Scottish accent that no one can understand or I mean other dialects too I'm sure but that this idea of producers or maybe or casting directors or whoever is in charge of sort of determining the accents even narrators who are sometimes in charge of determining the accents might be worried that the listener won't be able to understand something that's less, um, the, yeah, that's that's stronger um, mm-hmm. or or perhaps in some ways we might say more authentic, more yeah. true to how that character might actually speak. I, So I think the main, yeah, I think the main pressure is comprehensibility tends to be a word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, I, and that of course would...
2: assumes that the audience mm-hmm. of that book will be
0: exactly white
2: Anglo-Saxon Americans who understand that accent as normal.
0: Yes. So it's as no it's taking,
2: it's taking the whole world <laughs> and drilling it down to like a specific region of the earth and saying, this is where we sell books.
1: Yes. And this is the main market and this is the main listener. And this is who we assume the listener is. And more than that, we're assuming let's 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 pretend that the 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 main listener the listener the ear uh, listener of audiobooks is this white american person we're we're pretending like they can't understand people yeah. from other places <laughs> like that and and you know of course like i've got funny stories about traveling to the us and people not being able to understand me but those are outliers <laughs> like we're assuming that the book-consuming, audio book-consuming public is a bit dim, and is a bit sort of untraveled and isn't hasn't been exposed to perhaps some of these accents. When I don't know that that's true, and I, I and think to the degree
2: it is true. It's probably a self fulfilling prophecy. Yes, if we're only yes. creating a right. product for a certain type of people, they will be the people who consume that product, and then we will say, well we have to create the product for those people cuz they're the ones consuming the product the product that we've made for those people
1: and it's true that the american market is the biggest market for audiobooks like that is not in question actually in terms of consumers but i think it is interesting that there are these other large markets where their experience isn't taken into account um And, of course, part of the American market's not just white people. So, like, that experience isn't taken Uh into account necessarily either.
0: And not just English language first also, right? Like, I mean, we're producing the audiobooks in English. but, But, like, I guess I'm also just thinking about how the entertainment industry in general has this, like, closed loop around who the audience is. That's been driven by dialect for decades. Like, what is the transatlantic accent that everybody was speaking in old movies? Like RP, I'm pretty sure the history of that is it's made up. It's a it's a army, um, like military dialect that was created and then adapted to show uh class and status. Um, like we're this is a self, like you're saying, a self-perpetrating cycle that's not being broken because there's a huge assumption, a huge blind spot of who can actually take in the information that's being delivered. And so what we see on television as well in terms of lack of representation. Well, I think it's interesting
1: that the logic with an audiobook, like my my assumption my assumption, my personal assumption, and, and this is, you know, I haven't like broadly spoken to people about this. This is just something that I think, um, is that listeners and readers choose books because because it's an active choice right choose books set in other places in part to travel and to Mm. experience those places yeah and i actually think sometimes we're like maybe robbing them of that experience when the books are well it starts with the written word it starts with um localization right like we're localizing the philosopher's stone to the sorcerer's stone because the americans might not understand not understand that we're, it starts there i think that um we're sort of taking away some of the experience of actually traveling it, it, you know imaginatively obviously but like that's still part of the buy-in if, if you were an because Amer- that's right If you, if the assumption is you're an american listener but you've picked a book set in i'll say scotland because that's where i am and it's been localized so that all the scottish characters use fahrenheit well, that's quite weird because yeah. Scottish people don't use Fahrenheit, but that happens in the publishing industry. That happens um, all the time. Yeah. It ha- happens all the time in the in books that I'm asked to narrate with an Australian accent or a UK accent, and the characters are saying it's 108 degrees, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, and... It's sci It's sci-fi. I, it's sci-fi. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> right? Oh, no, it's just summer. Okay, was just, okay. Um, but, you know, so my experience actually as an actor in that moment is quite strange because I almost have to turn off the part of my brain that's like, what? <laughs> what is this? And sort of sell it as if this is a real, authentic Australian person saying these things, um, which no Australian would ever say because no Australian understands Fahrenheit.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. I, there are these, like, these two ideas. One that I have a made-up name for. Um, but both ideas come from, I think, this, like, marketing approach to creating products.
4: Um,
3: but before I talk about those two things, now that we're at post-Strike, I think there's a really good example of um, accent-dismissive casting, which was the One Piece TV show on Netflix where the main character is a Mexican actor who yeah. speaks in his uh, Mexican accent. Uh, the character's father, who hasn't been introduced in the show, but could have any accent, could have a neutral American accent. But his grandfather, who helped raise him, has a, I think, Scottish or Australian accent. And you hear it throughout the show. They, they, there's no dialect training. Everyone speaks with the accent that they're from, uh, for, of the location they're from even if their family members or people that they grew up with have completely different accents. Right. Um, and it works. It's, it's not dismissive. There's no lore around why it is or isn't present. It just works. Um, and I think, like, it, it would be really valuable to explore what that sounds like in an audio format. Um, yeah. But I think there's, like, on one hand, there's this hyper-specification hyper that feels boxy. And then there's a hypergeneralization that also feels boxy. And I think right now we're talking a lot about the hypergeneralization. And for me, it reminds me a lot of the idea of Springfield in The Simpsons, where it could be a city in any state. You know, anyone could live in Springfield. This like Springfieldification of the, (laughs) the character where we when there's no specifications about where it's located or what it is, there's this generalized accent that could, quote unquote, catch the average American, whoever that is, um, off and and kind of like pull us into this sense of personalization. And then I think on the other end of the spectrum, too, there's this like hyper specification where, you know, I get auditions all the time, not necessarily in audiobooks, but often in commercial that are like, we're looking for an urban accent. We're looking for something a little bit African-American. Um, or even, you know, I get Spanish auditions. They're looking for, like, a Spanish... Um, they're looking for, like, Mexican-Spanish accents. Um, and they do the same thing. They, there's a Spanish neutral. Um, they want people to audition and submit who will be, like, unquestionably perceived as X nationality. Which is so complicated, because I've had friends who got auditions that have said, we're looking for narrators with accent of X country... That person is literally from X country, has X accent, and they're like, mm, you don't sound right for this. So what are you looking for, if not the literal person
0: that yeah. you're apparently looking for? Right.
3: And so it, it's it's this, I think it is this presumption that really, like you said, in a lot of ways is, it's it's colonial, it's constructed. Yeah. It's this idea that like, the general accent is going to like get us somewhere without any kind of distraction you know that like when we talk about when we talk about the how language reveals who the average person we're catering to is i think it's that same thing that we addressed earlier that like when we're looking for a generalized american accent what we're really saying is that like this book isn't Genre. This book isn't for a subset. This book is, is, quote unquote, for the people. And the people, quote unquote, don't want to be caught off guard by hearing your <sighs> Michigan. They don't want to be caught off guard by hearing your Canada or your Australia.
1: Right. Um, the yeah. distraction's a good word, I think, because it's almost like, oh, we don't want the listener to spend time or brain power thinking, where are they from? Like, we don't want that to be part of the question. And if they're anything but this standard, we're going to be spending time and effort saying, well, where are they from? Or having to justify that they're from somewhere else? I, I don't You know, that they're, they're from somewhere specific instead of yeah. this.
2: But, but again, self-fulfilling prophecy. Because yeah. if standard practice was to just let the narrator speak in their natural voice, regardless of the accent, when it doesn't matter, then listeners would be used to Disregarding an accent as a key portion of what the character is meant to be, especially in things like sci fi or fantasy uh, or paranormal romance, that things that don't take place in the real world, uh, we're suspending our disbelief about a whole lot of things. We could just be fine with the Australian accent.
0: Exactly. We could be, but
1: we're not. In the made up
4: <laughs> I just wanted to say, uh, I wish somebody would send me a a little bit African-American audition. I would love to return that email. But anyway. A little bit of swagger. Right, right. Of- <laughs> do you do you think uh, that it kind of just boils down to perception, right? Like, who is the decision maker? Like, is it the rights holder? Like, is it right. the, the author, right? Did they have something in their head, but it's just not matching that? The thing is, is like people who live in the same house do sound different. Everybody individually, right, has their own lived experiences. But then on the other hand, you have people who literally can sound exactly the same, especially when they're answering the Mm -hmm. phone, right? Because you've, you've learned how to answer, you know, like your mom or your dad or whatever. So the whole, especially when you're dealing with someone who's authentically from that place with that lived experience, that is their first language or their learned accent and then somebody's telling you that it's not don't even get me started on the reviews like oh that scottish accent was wonderful and there <laughs> was no scottish accent you know or you're <laughs> actually from london and they're like the british accent was terrible you know it's really yeah. about their perception or right or the american
2: so, co-narrator did a better job
4: right <laughs> it's again right, the perception right, right. thing yeah
1: the the what the idea of the accent versus yes. the reality of the accent i think is so interesting and i think that's something that actually might require sort of more education or something with particularly people in casting because it's what you were just saying andre of of the of the you you can be from there and have somebody in casting who's not from there tell you you don't sound enough like you are from there so then what like I mean I think it gets even sort of worse when we're talking about non-white accents because that you're sort of being asked to like play up an ethnicity at the same time but you know like there's sort of almost for me often feels like oh so you want me to go a bit more like crocodile dundee with it yeah, like a bit into more the crocodile hunter type right yeah yeah because it's the it's the perception of what the accent sounds like um and that perception is often dated, you know, it's Mm. often from, from 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, you know, if you listen to a contemporary Russian speaker from Moscow, Mm. uh, you know, they don't have the, the spy, the, the Cold War era spy Mm. novel accent. (laughs) But then if you're a listener and you're expecting that accent, because that's what you've been told, is a Russian accent, that's what a Russian accent sounds like, and you have an actual Russian person speaking, your response might very well be, that person doesn't sound Russian to me. Mm. Because you've been taught that that's not what Russian sounds like. Um, And the same with Scottish, the same with Australian, the same with anywhere.
4: So I have a follow-up to that then. Do you think it is about the accent per se, or is it more about the person slash people that that accent should or would represent i mean it's kind of going to another place but i'm curious i'm curious what you think about that no that's good yeah
1: isn't this a part of this like this question of authenticity like yeah. they didn't the, the american did it better what does that mean like like they better met than your
2: expectations right
1: that they met your expectations so it's not about then them being authentic but at the same so it's like this double bind, right? Because like no one can do a, 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 a I don't know, a London accent better than somebody who was born in London and grew up in London. No one can do it better than them. They're authentic. That's them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the perception is maybe different from that sound. So I think it is, yeah, it is about the perception. It's both. It's weird, isn't it? It's I, the listener, want this to be authentic, but I, the listener, or I, the casting director, I mean, I think it works, you know, whoever the listener is, have this idea of what authentic means. And I get to decide what authentic means to me. Mm. And if you don't match my expectation, then I can say, it's sort of like costume design in a film, right? Mm. Like Everyone has an opinion on costume design, but we're not trained costume designers or whatever, but we can see it and it's visual and we can all have an opinion. I think it's the same thing with audio yeah. We We all have heard accents before. You know, like we might not be from there. We might not be trained, but we can all have an opinion, can't we? Um, Yeah, I mean, we all can have an opinion, but I think some of them are a little bit more informed than others. (laughs) And I think if the opinion of a reviewer, for example, is, oh, that, you know, the the American co-narrator did a better British accent. I don't know. I find that so like... Did, did they not, for one second consider what they were writing? <laughs> or like what you know, d- did we not Google this? I think sometimes with ah, oh, I'm sorry, I'm like caught up on this question of like authentic sound because I've so I was I've with the audio file, with the audio file magazine reviews. Um, I narrate in American accents, I narrate in various British accents, and I narrate in Australian. The only review that's ever mentioned my accent is in my Australian books. Mm. And they've said it's authentic sounding. Well, that's good, I guess. Which is great. I'm so happy. But like, what does that mean? I mean, to (laughs) me, I was like, I read that and I was like, oh, they don't think I'm from there. Which is. um,
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's an achievement. It's, yeah. like, it's like, oh, but she was, good, she did, she good did such a You, 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 nailed you really
1: nailed it. You really nailed it. And the American reviews have never mentioned an accent. And of course, those are the books that I'm doing an accent on. Which the reviewer would know if they looked me up. And that's particularly true for the for the Australian authentic sounding the authentic sounding Australian review. I mean, I don't want to call out audiophile. I'm thank you, thank you. Please keep reviewing me. Please keep (laughs) saying that I have an authentic (laughs) sounding accent. I I love that. But I think the the bias there is what I'm trying to to talk about.
2: I have a niche question when it comes to that. When you record the credits or any front or back matter, do you use the American accent for your American books?
1: Yeah. I so, think part so of my... So to the
2: listener, there's no hint that no, you're not yeah.
1: American. Part of my conceit, I mean, we can, I don't know, part of my approach to selling an authentic sounding accent um, is all I'm trying to do is sell to the listener for a, for a first person narration where they're supposed to believe that I'm from there and all this sort of stuff, right? The, the illusion is immediately thrown away if they do Google me because it says on my website that I'm Australian, so, you know, um, but for somebody who doesn't take that extra effort, I'm creating an illusion and the illusion is that I'm American or the illusion is that I'm from London or whatever. And so for the, whatever the main voice of the book is, that's what I'll do the credits in because I'm trying to start there with creating the illusion that that's where I'm from. In parts so it's not distracting, so that they're not saying, hang on, where is she from? I'm going to spend this whole book right. playing accent detective. And like, every no. time, every time it slips. Um, because I think if I did do the credits in an Australian accent, every, because in a, in a 10 hour book with, you know, however many thousand words that is, um, I'm very good in an American accent, but it slips. And it slips within the range of an idiolect, within an American idiolect, I would say. But if I didn't do that, I, th- I do feel like those slips would, instead of it being like, oh, she just has an idiolect and that's how just how she says this word. She's clearly from like Kansas or something. It's fine. Um, I think the listener would be like, well, I knew she was an American all along.
0: So speaking about that that illusion and like our job. No, seriously, I, I had uh, an engineer last week who's a he calls himself an amateur magician. He's quite good, um, but we talked about how the real magic trick behind magic is is selling the illusion, right? Is like is like mm-hmm. ta- and and then most people who are watching the magic want to believe the illusion. That's that willing suspension of disbelief. Like we want to go there. Um. So like this actually brings me to the punch-in question that we have this week, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this. So if we're not doing an entire book in a dialect that maybe is not our own, and we don't have a lot of time to craft meticulously, but we have multiple characters from lots of different places, or we're just not that comfortable with a thing. Um, So so I'll ask the question, and then we can kind of talk about this, but how do you, especially as a dialect coach, because you've helped me with this before, when we've had lots of varying characters from um, very close geographical places in the world, but not the same, and we need to make them distinct, like how you guide us through that. So so the punch in question is,, um, I have a character in an upcoming book who wasn't in the audition and is pretty major. They speak in a strong Turkish accent in quotes, according to the text. And I don't feel very confident in my Turkish accent at this point. How can I best serve this aspect of the story? And how should I interpret this accent here?
1: Okay. I think the classic advice here is would either be like, don't do an accent or do a light version of the accent, which again, I feel like we've covered like, what does that mean? Yes. Um, I, cause I think that means different things to different people. Uh-huh. Okay. In answer to that question, cause I think there have got to be some assumptions about like what the bounds of this are. Okay. It wasn't in the audition. You don't have any experience yeah. with a Turkish accent, you know. Maybe you feel uncomfortable about doing a Turkish accent because maybe that's not part of your, I don't know, experience or racial background or like whatever. You know, you're st- you're like, um, this could come off really racist. I don't know, sure. right? or ignorant uh-huh. I- at the very least. Um, so if you have time, okay, it wasn't in the audition, but you've read the book and you've realized that there's this major character with a. Turkish accent, who's described as having a heavy Turkish accent. Is that part of yeah, the question? Yeah,
0: exactly. Right.
1: In the text. Um, I think the first question, right, is what is the world of this book? What mm-hmm. world am I trying to create? And how important, like, have I given accents to other characters? How developed are those accents? How developed are those characters? You know, how many other accents are? Are there, like, let's not ignore the fact that if it's a single narrator book, it is one person and they're not gonna be magically amazing at every accent. And I can put my hand up today and say I was working at a bo- on a book with lots of different accents. And I think one of the things that's really helpful is to work with somebody, even, even as a dialect coach, it's really helpful to work with somebody on these accents and talk through them and 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 bounce off them and get a dialect coach and all this sort of stuff because you can refine the differences and the between these these various accents and and pitch your pitch levels and you can try something and somebody can give you the feedback of okay that's a little much maybe let's pull it back or maybe let's go a little harder it's fine but it's nice to have somebody to collaborate with in that circumstance because often we don't have the opportunity to collaborate but this is a great opportunity to hire a dialect coach um, I know I feel like this is sounding like a real um, marketing pitch here but hire a, a dialect coach that doesn't have to be me. Um, To work on this. Uh, Cheers, Gail. Uh, But, uh, you know, I think if you have enough time, if you have, let's say two weeks, let's say you have two weeks before the recording deadline, hire a dialect coach and work on your Turkish accent and, and see this as an opportunity to learn a new skill. Uh, that would sort of be my advice. If it's like, okay, I got the audition and they want me to record it next week and I've just read the book and it's in like two days and I really don't have time. That's really tricky because again, it's like, oh, I don't know, let's say it is a World War II book and you've got Turkish and German and Polish and all these other things. And you happen to be somebody who's really good at a German accent and a French accent already, an Italian accent, Whatever. But what are you gonna do with this Turkish character? Just like not do an accent? You've you've developed all these other people. Why aren't you gonna develop this one? And I just so I don't know that I have I don't know how that I have like a magic answer for that. Um Except I think part of and unfortunately we're not as 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 narrators given a ton of support with this, like from the publishers and from the producers. We're just not given support with this, and I think that sucks. But part of our job is creating the world and if in this world this turkish character has a strong turkish accent i mean let's start from the text um i i'm trying to think through because i don't actually think don't do an accent is a great choice here but doing a bad accent is also not a great choice so there's not there's not like a magic perfect answer of how to handle the situation. I really think it comes down to the individual narrator's confidence. It comes down to their experience with accents generally, this accent specifically, similar accents as well. Um, what is the purpose? What is the story of the accent? What is is the purpose of the strong Turkish accent to mark this person as foreign? You know, is the is the purpose to mark them as as You know, whatever, like, what is the purpose? Why are they described as having a strong Turkish accent? Does it matter? Like, Mm. maybe it actually doesn't
0: matter. Right. That's sort of what I was alluding to with the illusion, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, if you can give enough of a um, respectful flavor about who this person is that serves the story or serves the main character's point of view, are you accomplishing the mission? By maybe doing a little less, and we'll go with you because you believe it, and we believe it.
1: Yes, and and I think within that instance, because we we talked about this a little bit with when we were we were doing these um, fine distinctions of accent. One of the things that we ran into is it's just at a certain point it was too fine. It's like okay, these accents are actually too similar. You what know, well, I can't remember what it was. What Polish and Russian and Hungarian and Romanian and. You know so
0: to, and they're all to, like men in their 30s too right so you're yes. dealing with like very similar yeah yeah
1: so to differentiate it for the listener a lot of the sound changes for those accents or the sound how the sounds come out for those accents is the same like it's you know they're very similar accents and yes there are differences between them but expecting the listener to pick up these fine differentiations even if Gail was doing it perfectly there's sort of a I don't necessarily think that's a That's reasonable. That's not a reasonable expectation. They're they're too similar. So we went to character. What differentiates these people? Yes, they're all men in their 30s, but like one is shy and one is confident and one is a real like ladies man. And one is, you know, and how do we sort of differentiate that as we would any character in any accent? So going back to this, this strong Turkish accent is highly context dependent. Because what is the purpose, what is the strong Turkish accent trying to communicate? And I think if it's like, this is a book where they're the only character with an accent, and we're calling that out, you actually do have a lot of freedom. Because if you do something and you sell it, I think the listener's going to buy that you did it. Now, that's not necessarily, again, this is sort of like, if you had no time, Um, You do have time to look things up on YouTube and you do have time to do some research. So I don't, you know, even if you have a day, you have time to contextualize yourself at least a little bit.
2: I think there's another element to this, though, too, that even though this question is about an accent, it is also about scheduling and communication. You don't have to make this decision on your own. If you are put in a bad situation where you were not given enough time to do the research that you would like to do and it wasn't in the, uh, the audition and they didn't give you a heads up that this was coming down your way and you discover it at the last minute, um, they are just as much in this boat as you are. Yeah. And at that point, you can offer your producer some options, which would mm-hmm. be, I can do a quick and probably bad job. I can just not do an accent, even though it says I should have one. Or you can give me more time and I can do a good job. Let me know yeah. what you want me to do.
1: And yeah. I I think that is a great solution. It's so interesting to hear that because, of course, you're right. Like, this is not actually, even though it often feels like it, it's not actually a project that you're in it by yourself. Right. And I do, I agree that I think often we don't want to be perceived as problems with producers. and with something like this where, okay, they didn't give you the warning, maybe they didn't give you the time, I would be personally tempted to not give them the option of me doing a bad job, because my work gets judged the same, whether or not I had preparation time and support. And so I hear you, I actually think those are, that's a great like triangle of this is what's possible right quick and bad or Uh time and good i think in and maybe it's also i don't know it's like i understand why different people would make different choices so i'm not like saying i'm standing from a place of judgment on this but i do think i would be leaning towards i really need a week or i really need how you know um a session with a dialect coach to be able to feel confident that i can do this and and point out that they didn't tell you that mm-hmm. this has completely blindsided you, all this sort of stuff. That, and I, to be honest, I think people are are a lot more conscious of offence now. And I think if you phrase it from that position, which is true, right? As a, as an actor, you don't want to be offensive. You don't want to be putting things out into the work, into the world that are stereotypes and uh, offensive stereotypes. So, I think most producers are going to respond positively to your care, you know, to to care for the work, care for the listeners, because we're in an evolving moment with that.
2: Well, and I think you, the way you phrased it is really important when you said that we don't want to be perceived as the problem, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is true. And I've used those exact words in other contexts and other conversations. uh, And I think what we need to remember is that when we bring up an issue, we are not the problem. We are trying to be a part of the solution. And as long as that's how you present it, then okay.
1: Yes, I think that's true. Like presenting it as a solution, presenting it as an improvement, mm-hmm. because it is. I, I mean, it right. so clearly would improve this book if this is a major character that requires a major accent. Let's. Well, certainly
2: if it's a major character.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I guess like in my in my mind, I've just been thinking of it as like a, a side character who comes up from time to time. You know, that's when I would, that, me, and this is just me personally, that's when I would offer, I could do something, but it's not going to be an accurate accent. Um, because I believe sometimes you just have to divorce yourself from your ego and know that, yep, there's probably going to be somebody out there who's, who get, who doesn't like this and they're going to not like me. That's always well, true that's even if you anytime. are Turkish, right? Right. As we talked about before. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, And sometimes it's just, as the narrator, it's just not my final call. You know, sometimes I just have to be the worker bee who does it. Um, but that 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 depends on that piece of it being like a pretty small part of the story. Um, if it's a sizable enough part of the story that it will impede good storytelling, which I think is always our goal. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, then your options become more limited. Then it really is a situation like, hey, I just need more time.
1: And I, I, I do think, you know, like zooming out, again, it is one person with their own authentic voice and accent, whatever that is, telling this story that has potentially, you know, I don't know, 20. like That's a lot. But like 20 accents in it or three, whatever. But I think often listeners can grant us a measure of kindness when they realize, you know, if I'm doing a French accent, I'm not actually trying to convince you that I'm French.
2: Thank (laughs) you. you. (laughs) Um,
1: So I do often have people come to me and they're really concerned that about, about offending people, obviously about not being able to do it well about all this sort of imposter syndrome of like, Oh, I can't do a good enough you know, whatever this, and again, like I'll put my hand up. There are some accents that I'm not brilliant at, but I can still do them in the context of an audio book, because all I'm trying to do with some of these, again, minor characters, perhaps, is, you know, honor the fact that the text has said that this character is French. You're like here it mm-hmm. is, I'm giving, I'm giving you something. Like in this world, this is a French accent, right? right? in the world that I've created, this is it um, and I think often the listeners will give you kindness, particularly when you're doing several. I mean, some listeners will be like, yeah, I mean that this and this and this was great, but their Cajun was awful. like okay, I mean, you know, you do better like at this that a certain, at a
0: mm-hmm.
1: at a certain point, most of the time, I think people actually appreciate that we're one human. With whatever capacity that we have, and I think a lot of the time people can be like, okay, obviously they were cast on this book because it's American or whatever, and yeah, this this I don't know why this Cajun character popped up, and no, they're not Cajun, and they had no experience with that, and you know maybe their accent on it was kind of bad, mm-hmm. but that's not why they were cast and on the book. It was ten lines
2: in a book. So. Yeah, that's
1: not why they were cast on this project. Yeah. So. I, I think the level of accent performance in an audiobook, as much as I'm always of course gonna be like, yeah, let's try to let's try to do the best that we can, um, the level of accent performance on an audiobook is a very different level of sort of accuracy expectation versus if I were a character in a TV show. Or a which even like let's a be stage. honest
0: there are you know a- award-winning acclaimed performances by people that we love to watch who kind of do an iffy job on a lot of dialects <sighs> and we like it anyway like yes it's not what it's about sometimes yeah
1: it is more about the characters right like would we rather listen i don't know uh would we rather listen to this book with like a perfect french accent and a perfect cajun accent and a perfect scottish accent that has no emotion or characterization or, you know, I mean, it's okay, granted, some people are probably going to be like, yeah, I would, because I'm pedantic and I want my accents to be right. But what creates a character is, is not actually just accent, right? Yeah. Like, what creates a character is how they feel and how they breathe and all of this sort of stuff. So... I think that stuff is more important. So while we sort of get fixated, I certainly do. I really do get fixated on accents. Um, The character is more important. So let's go back to this Turkish character. Let's say, okay, minor Turkish. We've downgraded. It's a minor Turkish character. You didn't have time. No, you didn't have time. But you know what? Like, they're a Turkish general. And you can get into the mind of a general. You can still give this person a character. Or they're a Turkish, like, orphan little girl you you can get into the voice of that you can say you can still differentiate that way through character you don't have to give them nothing because you don't have the accent down you know you you're you're still in the world they're still participating in this world as a character so I think that would probably be for the minor character and then of course like which accent do you do um if you're really, really, really not confident on the Turkish, if you're really like, man, this is awful. Um, yeah, okay, default to what your accent is, but, but make sure that they're still a character and that you're not sort of embarrassed, that you're not sort of like apologize, like allow them to be oh. the fully breathing character that all the other characters are. Because I think that's, that's it, right? If you're doing this Turkish accent, but the entire time all you're like thinking about is, ooh, the Turkish accent. That's not interesting, to, I, to me. That's not interesting to listen to. And sometimes I think it is, oh my God, I can't believe I'm gonna say this. It's worth sacrificing accent for character, I I think, in the balance of things. If, if you gotta Cats. choose one, I, I know, I know I'm putting myself out of a job here. Um, <sighs> but if, no. you, if you gotta pick one, the character is always gonna be more important than the accent. The accent's only a small part of that character.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And like to to weave thoughts in here as well. Like, I think one one thing that I try to remember too is that listeners are are human beings. They are fallible, right? Um, three three examples just. Shotgun down the list. One, one of my friends just listened to an audiobook. There's interstitials written from the perspective of a nonverbal autistic character. And they hired a nonverbal autistic influencer to read those sections. And people in the reviews clearly did not look up who this person was because they went into the reviews and said, "Uh, this felt really like stilted and put on. Two, I've had uh, the number of reviews I've seen. Of books narrated by Black people, where in the reviews the comment is like, "You know, I really love this book, but like, why didn't they hire a Black person to narrate it?" Three, I recently did a book. It was a translation from a Portuguese, and there are words that just are words in Portuguese that were left in the translation for a reason. There isn't a there isn't a reiteration of it, but they're words that have absolutely no value when they are Americanized. One of the words that came up, vatapa, it's a food. There is no translation. And vatapa does not mean anything more to an American listener. But I got a one-star review, and the person said that the Brazilian words were overpronounced. So, like, what? which is to say that, like, I think that we have to have our North Star about why we're making certain choices throughout the book. And I think one of the th- ways that we do that is we crack open, I think we go back to what we were talking about in terms of purpose. We crack open the purpose of the accent too. Um, I did a mill grade where there is absolutely no indication of where this kid is from, any kind of background, anything, except one line in the middle of the book where they mention that at school, and there are no scenes set at school with, with any of these kids, that at school he gets bullied for his Minnesotan accent. That is the only line that references it. I'm not gonna go and do the entire book in a Minnesotan accent because none of for one, I read the line as sarcastic. That there is not much that's different about the way he pronounces mm-hmm. his words, um, because there's nothing in the writing that indicates like really varied like use of words. Um, so I read the line, and in that one line made a joke about those bullies by saying Minnesotan, right? Mm. Overemphasizing. Rather than going through and doing the entire book in a Minnesotan accent because of the reference of this one line. Um, but I think that, like, the the people he interacts with, the other, again, the, the way that it's written, having a Minnesotan accent all throughout that book d- was not the point of that line and was not the point of that character. Mm. And I think that, like, the last thing I'll say, too, is that, like, authors are also fallible. We may get books where the the accent is written in, in a way that is, like, mocking of the language. And that, I think, sometimes just has to be a conversation. Maybe it, it's it's egregious enough that it has to be a decision to step away from the book.
2: Um, You're talking about, like, phonetically written dialogue? Phonetically
3: written in. I've, like, you know, I'm... I'm watching The Wire with my boyfriend right now. And as anyone who, before I even watched it, I knew that there were a lot of black people in The Wire. I don't think any episode of that entire show is written by a non-white person. And you can, you feel it in some of those scenes. I was born in Brazil. I grew up in North Seattle. You hear the way I speak and I can tell. <laughs> when some of those scenes are are happening that like those black actors are going to work they're they're making their rent the way that they're putting that that like dialogue to work and that's to say that like there are so many reasons to lean in or lean out of an accent choice and i think we have to explore them in context because actually like maybe this turkish character really pulled-out-of-the-hat example, like, this Turkish character is, like, secretly this author's commentary on, like, the the pitfalls of Turkey as a country and as a culture. And, like, leaning into the accent overemphasizes the erroneous nature of that writing, right? As opposed to stepping back from it. And like you said, letting this character be a person in the way that maybe the original text didn't let that character be a person.
2: I also would hate for somebody to leave this conversation thinking that the only way to do an accent is to take, you know, two weeks of dialect course from somebody, and, like, you have to do that every single time. Because as with all things in our industry and most industries, if you're, if you're too afraid to try, if you're too afraid to be bad at something, you will never get good at something. And so you have to all of us, I am sure, have had journeys uh, with certain accents where we have gone from like, okay, uh, to much better. Not accurate. I don't think we can we're never like again, like to try to fool a native speaker that, like, oh, yep, I gotcha, like that's not gonna happen. But like for 90% of the listening audience to go like, oh yeah, that's a British person who I'm speaking and I know, who, I know who that character is. Like, if you're going to get to that point, you might have to go through the uncomfortable, hard, working really hard, maybe they can feel how hard you're working part uh, to get to the part where it feels more effortless and and easy. Well, you do. Um, I'm so
0: glad you said that because it's, um, I mean, we know this is audiobook narrators who can read out loud for many hours a day, many days a week. It's musculature, right? Like, a dialect is it's hearing practice and it's muscle practice in your in your vocal instrument so you have to build it you have to build it you can't just and, snap your fingers
1: I, well and, and i think i think maybe that there's also i don't know i, I imagine i imagine that there's a sort of self expectation by some narrators that they should be able to do an accent at that level or they shouldn't do it right that they should be able to to do it at a level that at least approaches a sort of native speaker of that accent or they shouldn't do it. And I just don't think that that's, that is at all the expectation or at all the level that you need to be at. Um, and I say that as, you know, somebody who puts a lot of pressure on myself to to be at that level. And I have to remind myself that it's not actually the goal, that is not actually the expectation. It's not life or death. I'm not a super spy and I'm not trying to convince, you know, the enemy that I'm from there or they'll kill me. Like that is not the stakes of this, but it sometimes feels like it is because of, I think these, sometimes the negative reviews or the perception, um, the ego, right? We we wanna be good at something, but we can't be that good at something until we actually try it.
2: Sometimes we have to remember we are artists. We are not technicians. We are not scientists. We are artists. Um, If we were painters, The very first time you picked up a paintbrush and paint, you could probably draw a box with a triangle on top and somebody would say, oh, it's a house. You did your job. You painted a house. Uh, And (laughs) five years later, when you painted every single day, you would be able to create this beautiful landscape with like a photorealistic home. And people would be like, oh, my God. Like, it's like, that's incredible. So, yes, it's gotten better but they knew you were doing a house the whole time.
0: That's <laughs> beautiful. Know?
1: That's so good. I love good. that. I love that as an example. I think that's a great way into particularly these these minor characters in these books and to sort of maybe be a little little bit a little bit less intimidated um by these minor characters because if yeah, the listener can be like okay. Okay, that that's Australian. Sh- yeah? Sure. I mean <laughs> Why not? Mm -hmm. I think if that's sort of the response, then you, you did it. You did the job.
0: Wow, what a fascinating conversation about the current climate of accents and dialects in the industry, as well as so many useful strategies to thoughtfully navigate through accents in our work and more so wonderful conversation around examining this limited perception and the expectations that we have around dialects and the way the industry keeps perpetuating them over and over again. So I'm left wondering a few things. What can we do as narrators to break the cycles, to trust our listeners more, to be more inclusive in our creative decisions, to challenge our biases and to move away from generalizing and tokenizing accents and dialects? One strategy Cat has offered in the past that I think we could keep in mind is around that no accent or neutral accent issue, or as Andre brought up, the constructed stereotypes of what any type of person from some place is supposed to sound like. It's to turn back around to the person who asked this of us and say, what does that mean? In that way, we can get some clarity, some specificity, and we can encourage producers and casting folks to challenge their own perceptions and their own assumptions, to be more intentional with their language, rather than making this general American or standard British the assumed default. We would love to hear what questions this conversation brought up for you, and what you took away from it. So come punch in at narratorroundtable.com or find us on our socials and let us know. Thanks for tuning in.
2: The Narrator Roundtable is produced and hosted by Andre Santana Deanna Anthony Gail Shallon Kurt Graves and Lindsey Dorcas All copywritten material is shared with permission. Music and sound effects are licensed through Storyblocks Audio. All opinions shared are those of the individuals and do not reflect the positions or policies of any company or organization with which they happen to be associated.